They've designed for David Bowie. They made an iconic fashion moment when they put a sock on Britney Spears' arm. They thrift shopped for the clothes in Dallas Buyers Club. Now Kurt and Bart, award-winning costume designers and stylists, take on the amazing costumes on their second film in the Hunger Games series, the new blockbuster Mockingjay Part 2. This is Pop Culture Confidential. Hi, I'm Christina Yerling Biro. Thank you for listening. Kurt Swanson and Bart Mueller, simply known as Kurt and Bart, started working together in the 80s and moved to New York, where music and the club scene became a major influence on their design aesthetic. They soon started designing for some of the most epic music acts, David Bowie, Courtney Love, Pink, to name a few. And they're behind many of Britney Spears' most iconic music video styles, like Slave for You and Toxic. Their previous film credits include, for example, Stoker with Nicole Kidman and Dallas Buyers Club, for which they were nominated for a Costume Designers Guild Award. Now, Kurt and Bart have designed the meticulously detailed costumes for parts one and two of The Hunger Games, Mockingjay. We all have one enemy. And that's President Snow. He corrupts everyone and everything. He turns the best of us against each other. Stop killing for him. Tonight, turn your weapons to the Capitol. Turn your weapons to snow. During the interview, you can follow along and see the costumes we're talking about on the website popcultureconfidential.com or on the Acast player. There you can see, among other designs, their real masterpiece, the Mockingjay itself, worn by Jennifer Lawrence. Kurt and Bart, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks. This is Kurt, by the way. And this is Bart. It seems like music's been a major part of, of your work. Um, how would how music and fashion interact aesthetically? Um, well, this kind of goes back to having met in the 80s, and I love that time period growing up because you you got the tail end of disco. You know, like mm-hmm. you were old enough to un- have all the fantastic disco acts, and then you also had you know like the classic rock of the 70s like that at the age that we were then but then you had all the emergence of punk and new wave and all of the great things that were coming out of both europe and the u.s um so people were just expressing themselves in a completely different way but also a really visual way and i think that's something that we got into and the music and fashion have always been good friends what were some of the things you'd worked on in the 80s? Um, the 80s was a the 80s was a weird time. I mean, I think we were trying to find our way. We were we, we started a clothing line in Denver. We moved to New York uh, with that clothing line and and did it for a short time and sold at places like uh, Patricia Fields early store on 8th Street and um, this store 109 St. Marks and um, but I think, you know, it's weird. I think going out to nightclubs and dressing up every night and being, you know, basically club kids through the 80s was was probably schooling for us in a lot of ways. I mean, I, I feel like that that still influences our work today. And, um, you know, again, I think it's really tied to music. I remember like ID Magazine and Face and all those were really kind of a Bible for us. And, um, 
you know, and, and that was always, that was really amazing. You know, it was very pre-internet and you, you kind of had to search out the things you were interested in and, you know, research them and, and research people on the street and what other people were wearing out at night. So, yeah, I think, I think the 80s have played a big part in us. And what was the project you did with David Bowie? Actually, was for MTV. There were, MTV one year had all um, did a huge campaign for MTV when it was at the um, at the Lincoln Center. Lincoln Center in New York. So it was this big operatic theme, and we did all these people like Eminem and Bowie and Janet Jackson and Britney and all these people kind of as classic opera opera characters and that's actually what we did Bowie for. That's true, that's true. And it is it is the first time we worked with Brittany and uh, we kind of clicked with her and that, that kind of led to our, you know, five years with her. Yeah, we dressed Brittany as Violetta and it, it was, and it was kind of hilarious because she was like such a kid then. I mean, I think we were like eating Cheetos. I was like, don't get Cheetos on your Violetta dress. <laughs> Um, and that was kind was of the start. That was kind of the start of that. But it was a great job because we really got to work with some really iconic people, and you know, Bowie was one of them, and and he was he was so lovely. And you know, you kind of would we would be talking with him, and then you'd suddenly realize, oh my God, I'm talking to Ziggy Stardust. But he was really um, he was really a pleasure to work with, and he was really open and um, very smart. How was he styled? Then? He was now. Now you're really testing Mephisto. my memory. He was. I think he was Mephisto, but I don't know which opera it was from. But we got him. We we had made him this kind of insane frock coat, and we had found all these falling apart um, lace shirt fronts. Um, and I remember we cut a pair of um, like pointed beetle boots apart and made them into like hand beaded little um louis quatorze shoes um but he was great he was great i have to find the pictures i'm so curious to see it now everything sounds great um back to britney one of the memorable things you've done for her is a a slave for you which one of you had the idea of the live snake (laughs) she had to carry around That, I, you know, that's one of my, that, the Slave video and her performance at MTV are, are probably one of our favorite things we did with her. She was just so at the top of her game at that point. And it's weird, for as long as we worked with her, you know, it really took, I think it really took us a while to realize who she was in the whole spectrum of the world. You know, to me, she was this sweet, um, sweet little girl from Louisiana, and she was really kind of like a little sister in a way to us always really appreciative for you know what we were doing with her and really excited about clothes but then suddenly you just started to realize the level of fame that she was at you know and and you would start being in these situations with her that were actually you know sometimes scary and you know just just to see that kind of fame on thrust on someone so young um it was really interesting to be a part of that and um she was it was an amazing ride with her we had a really great time how could you see that fame thrust upon her? Just people everywhere? And- oh, yeah. Oh, it was just, you know, it was crazy because, like, we'd be in Europe with her and or do something like the Super Bowl, and you would just see, like, hundreds of people, like, chasing, you know, the vehicles that we were in or, you know, people, like, pushing through, like, it, you know, it was just kind of like that, that frenzy that surrounds somebody when they're, like, that um, 
famous, I guess. But it's funny. I mean, and then it, I think I think I first realized the power of the whole thing, and also just what we were doing with her. Also, you know, style wise, it's funny because you know at the Super Bowl, you know, we tend to pull things out of our old you know old tricks. We did it in Mockingjay too, which I'll, we can talk about later, but. You know, there was at the Super Bowl one year she performed with Aerosmith and Sync, and we ended up chopping off a you know athletic tube sock and making her this kind of one arm, you know, tube sock on her arm sleeve. Well, I remember that. Yeah, and it's something that we used to do. I mean, I used to always wear socks on my arms, and um, you know, it's just it was a weird little thing that just kind of came from our past, and we threw it on her, and then the next thing you knew. You know, they were being, they were for sale, you know, in stores. You could, you could get these like socks for your arm, which I just thought was really funny, you know. And, and you were mentioning, uh, I was talking about Dallas Buyers Club, which you just did an incredible job for. And as I mentioned, you were nominated. Um, there, I, I understand you, you looked through thrift shops for the costumes. That was how you worked for that. It, so is it important to you to have real clothes when you're looking for styles? Well, you know, um, the Dallas Buyers Club was a, a project that was really kind of near and dear to us. And it goes back to this idea of growing up in the 80s because that's when the movie was taking place and also that it was set in basically the Midwest, um, which we also related to. Um, we really approached those characters and those people and and how they would... We shopped at the places that they would shop. I mean, for Rayon, if you're... a a woman in transition and you're trying to find size 13 shoes for a great look, you know, you're not going to find them at, you know, Jocelyn's or the department store. You're going to be going out to the thrift store to like find those. So we were shopping at the same places that the characters would shop. You know, we found places where the oil field workers, you know, got rid of their old oil field working clothes and that were falling apart. And that's where we found Matthew's clothes. I mean, a lot of the clothes on Matthew are, from our own closets. And I mean, I think, I think the budget really dictated that too, but I think it, cause they're really, it really was a small budget film, but we really, I think it, it was, it was fun to embrace not having a lot of money because I think that really reflected the characters that we were dressing. And, you know, I remember, I, I remember not only in Houston, but I remember being in New Orleans shopping for Rayon and really digging through thrift stores and remembering when, when I was young in Denver and, and uh, you know, living this kind of um, life where I shopped in thrift stores and I dressed myself and I was trying to be an individual. And I remember like finding something that I really, really loved. And I remember finding those things for Rayon and just, and just really trying to get into her head and, and thinking that Rayon would really love this and why, and that, you know, it only costs $5 and, you know, all that kind of stuff I think really went into the character um, study for Rayon and, and everyone in that film. Um, I understand, though, because I read an interview that one of my favorites, Rocky Horror Picture Show, has been an influence. Is that correct? Oh, that's funny. Um, because we, we were making a list of um, films that kind of have spoken to us over the years. And, of course, the Rocky Horror is like one. That, and it comes, again, to that same age growing up. I mean, I think between the two of us, we've probably seen it over a couple hundred times. Yeah, no, that was the big high school thing to do, you know. Because I was thinking, do you guys know that I, I read a rumor that they're doing a TV show with Laverne Cox. Oh, oh I really? did just see that. And I'm like, you guys have to get on that. <laughs> yeah, no, I did just see that. And I know they did it on Broadway a few years ago, and I, I think we were trying to worm our way into that. And you it have didn't happen. to. <laughs> yeah, no, Rocky Horror 
without a doubt, of course. Because the thing that I love about Rocky Horror, besides the film, which is genius, and the costumes in it are incredible, it became such a phenomenon, especially for when you were growing up, that was your opportunity to get dressed up and go be a freak and go downtown and go, you know, stay up late and sneak into something that seems so naughty. You know, naughty. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. That's good. Well, I could talk for a long time about that, but let's move on to the incredible Mockingjay part one and two, which is the part two is about to premiere. This is the second film in the series that you guys are designing for. Um, and we're going to look in some detail at some of the costumes soon, but a little bit of background. Compared to so the budget of Dallas Buyers Club, this must be huge. How how many costumes in total and how many people have worked for you? Well, um, to maybe put it in perspective, on Dallas Buyers Club, we were telling the producers that we needed to buy some hangers. And they were like, well, do you really need hangers? Oh, God. <laughs> um, and, and, and in comparison, uh, somebody told us the number, and it still kind of freaks me out. But um, we dressed over 10,000 people over the course of the two films. Um, and even saying that kind of just makes me feel weird to my stomach. 10,000 is a yeah, lot. That's a lot of people. That's a but lot it, of people. It, it's, it's weird. It was We did really go from Dallas Buyers Club to this film, and it, it was such a huge, huge... Um, opportunity for us and really exciting and we really I think felt um, in good hands reconnecting with uh, Francis I just thought that was a perfect uh, thing for us um, sorry Francis worked with you with Britney Spears so he directed yeah. yeah we did we did the slave video with Francis Lawrence and that was the only time we worked with him previously and I remember always saying to our agent we wanted to work with him again and it never happened but um so it was really nice to reconnect with him um and I think I think because in, in a lot of ways we came from the same place, having done a lot of commercials and music videos, um, I think we speak the same language somewhat and understand things in the same way, but Francis is, is a dream to work with. Now, uh, Mockingjay has more of a military look, I think. Um, what was your research process? Did you have reference photos and eras and things? Well, it's I, th I thought we were so lucky to um, be able to design this point in the story in the franchise because it was... Even though it was the characters and continuing a story that had started to be told in the first two, um, it takes us straight into D13, which is a completely different world from the capital, and especially so different from Catching Fire. Um, it gave us an opportunity to completely go into this new territory. And, and for us, that meant going straight into research. You know, like we were saying, you know, we find inspiration in a lot of things, and I think we first started looking into a whole bunch of isms like um, futurism, uh, utilitarianism. Um, there have been different movements in history, like usually after like revolutions or during wars where there's been this idea that, you know, the purpose is more important than the individual, you know, Maoism, um, some early communism. We, we, we looked at a lot of isms. But I, I think... Uh but I think ultimately, like the the times of austerity in World War II in England and all of that was really inspiring to us, and only in the fact that you know resources were very scarce. I think I think there was a similarity to that um, in our approach to District Thirteen that there weren't a lot of resources, and that the population were really there as workers. Um, so I think I think all those things like. Um, being a little more precious about um, your resources and fabrics and, and not having, 
uh, you know, excess pleats and garments or too many buttons or, you know, anything extraneous, I thought was a, a really interesting approach to the clothing in District 13. And, and it's funny because you go into these things, these future kind of films, and, and I think our first take on, on things was maybe, you know, oh, you know, it needs to be, it has to have some futures, future style lines and that kind of thing. And it was weird because then when we sat down with Francis, you know, we really kind of realized that there, there really is a functionality to this clothing. And it also kind of needed to be based in, it needed to be relatable, I think, in a way. And, and I think that's why we kind of harked back to kind of this classic Americana um, workwear and um, a real functionality to the clothing. And and is everything made? Or you said that there were some things you had gone out and found, or have you? Is everything designed and constructed? No, we made a massive amount of um, clothes to dress those ten thousand people. Um, but especially in D thirteen, all of that was um, designed. And even though in some ways it sounds it was kind of a monochromatic palette. We were in a world of gray. Even though that sounds kind of easy, you'd be um, shocked at how many different versions of gray there are and how hard it is to match them with dyeing samples and different yeah, fabrics. Crazy. I can imagine it's even harder than and then sort of being able to just go crazy with patterns and colors. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's funny. I, I thought World War II was an interesting uh, interesting research for us. You know, a lot of even the fit, there was, a, we found a beautiful book on the um, the women of, it's the waves, um, which were the women in the military. And there was some great pictures of women, groups of women doing calisthenics in these high-waisted, you know, 40s pants with their, tux, their shirts tucked in. And that was really kind of the inspiration for having the waist so high, like on, on Jennifer's pants and, and even the guy's pants the waists are a little high I think it was driving everyone crazy because they weren't used to it but but that silhouette um I thought it was great looked great um what's it like designing through the eyes of a character so to speak Sina is a designer in the movie yeah that was such a um, cool experience and so um interesting because I think we actually maybe designed it in a really parallel way to him because, you know, Senna came from the Capitol and I think our first pass at the Mockingjay costume, for lack of better words, I mean, it was a very kind of Capitol approach. It was pretty fantastic. Um, the Mockingjay was a pretty fantastic costume, our first draft. Um, and we showed our sketches to Francis and Francis is so smart because we were looking at it and we were all excited and we all loved him but he but he was like you know what if we actually stepped back and looked at this from Senna's point of view that he knows her better than anybody and that he knows she needs to actually lead an army and inspire an army and be relatable so we came up with a new mantra which was symbol and soldier and and we went for it again, and, it, and we started just looking at what the soldiers were wearing, and we started that as kind of the the, the starting point for what her costume would be. So uh, Francis was so smart to point us that way. And I, I think I think the design of the costume too. We tried to make it really modular, so that you know there there were these fantastic elements about it. You know, she has wings and and all of that, and with the armor, but it was really a functional garment, and that could be you know the wings and all that little excess stuff. I think was more ceremonial than anything. Um, but it could be stripped down, and she could be on the you know a level playing field with the rest of the soldiers. Um, but that was important for us. 
We'll do a little bit interactive audio part because I, I love it. While um, Kurt and Bart are talking about these images, the listeners will be able to see them in the player. Um, so I have them in front of me, and so we can talk a little bit more in detail. And talking about your masterpiece, um, the Mockingjay, it really looks like a sort of suit of armor. Yeah. No. I mean, I th again. Going back to where you find inspiration, it's like uh, one of the first things that we did when we were thinking about the Mockingjay costume was visit this the armor collection at the Metropolitan Museum because they have this fantastic collection of armor from all over the world spanning many centuries. And uh, I think we also looked at paintings of Joan of Arc. That was kind of an, uh, an early reference too, just as far as an approach. But um, I really loved how it ended up in the end because we also didn't want it to, we didn't want her to feel like a superhero, you know. She was, she was really, um, the, the shape of her breastplate is based on Japanese armor for, now Kudo. I know, Kudo. Yeah, it's like an archery, Japanese archery. How long did it take you to make this? Um, it involved a lot of people, uh, and I don't remember exactly how long, but it involved a lot of really great craftspeople because the the armor parts were all hand sculpted based upon you know her digital her digital form and you know the, the boots were custom made the quivers were made by armors uh, and uh, we had a fantastic glove maker who's probably an 80 year old I think Armenian man who made her beautiful gloves that were so complex. Um, we had we had the opportunity to start most of our prep was started in Los Angeles, so we got to work with you know very closely with a lot of really incredible makers in Los Angeles before we moved to Atlanta, where we shot most of the film. Let's move on a little bit to Effie. I have a picture of them in front of me. She has a red dress, and there's another one in in a blue with with big sleeves. Um, that must be a very fun character to design for. Um, I think when, I think when we first read the script, we felt a little gypped that we weren't going to get to create a bunch of fabulous outfits for Effie in these films. But you know, upon reading the script again, I, I think it was really exciting for us to take a character like Effie and really strip her of all of that finery and fluff and, and kind of figure out how she would, um, how she would make it without all that stuff. And I think that was the, I think that was the funnest, that was the funnest character for us to do for sure. And what did you figure out? Well, what we figured out is that you can't stop somebody who wants to create a look, <laughs> give them some D13 issue clothes and she's going to turn it into something that makes her happy. And I think I think one of the best uh, references we had for her was um, Edith Beale from Grey Gardens, and I think it was just kind of this thing that clicked that, you know, Edith Beale kind of, you know, I'm sure she had a ton of clothes, but she, just the way she mixed and matched them, and she didn't really know why, but it, there was such a, um, she just kind of had to do it, and it was kind of with Effie. I mean, Effie had much less to to deal with, but I think it's it's just so ingrained in her. That, that there has to be a new look every day. It was really fun to, to take those five pieces of clothing and do a fitting with Elizabeth and figure out how Effie would uh, mix and match and twist and tie. And we, know. Ca we called it our project runway fitting. She was, <laughs> she was, a, she was a hoot. And, and, and Liz Banks knows the character so well too. It's hilarious because she walks into the room as Elizabeth Banks, but it's like you throw her into any 
bit of, bit of closer in the shoes and she tosses her hand out and cocks her hip and all of a sudden she's Effie Trinket. I love it. I love how everything comes together, how you're finding the sort of sock for Brittany and rummaging in thrift stores for them. And here again, even the character itself is actually looking around for stuff to make herself fabulous. Well, even, I mean, talk about pulling out the old crazy nightclub tricks we used to do. I mean, even for Effie, there was, um, you know, there were these big, you know, we thought, oh, well, maybe she steals these kind of men's oversized D13 shirts, and then she buttons two of them together in this certain way. And it's one of my favorite looks she wears, and it, it becomes this kind of four-sleeved dress um, that she belts. And it was just, you know, it was just the way of configuring something in a completely different way. But we used to wear that look out when we were going out. So when you ask what we were doing in the 80s, the work we were doing, we were just working on ourselves, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and for this. <laughs> That's amazing. I, I'm going to just one more thing. We've talked about the military. So we've talked about the incredible mocking Jay and the military aspects of it and Effie. I'd like to talk a little bit about the men's fashion in um, the Hunger Games series or the mocking Jay, the two you've done. I find it interesting that that um, the men's fashion are just as interesting as the, as the women. Would you say? I think so. I mean, um, the, in in the Mockingjay Part One and Two, a big part of it is the tactical, the combat gear, which was really cool to design because it was it was worn by both men and women, so it was very unisex, and it's something that maybe. People don't normally think of, but, you know, men's and women's clothing always close one direction or another. You know, women's shirts button the right over the left, the men left over right. And so when we were designing uh, the combat that we knew was going to be worn by both men and women, we were like, you know, well, who's going to win? And we were like, well, of course, of course the women are going to win because, you know, it's a girl who's out there, you know, leading this revolution. Of course the girl's got to win. So even the men had clothes in the women's direction. But we did, but we did with the soldier, with the tactical stuff, we did get to collaborate and, um, design the costume with a really amazing uh, UK designer named Itor Throop, um, who was early inspiration uh, for us, for them, and, and we were lucky enough to to work with him to create that because he just he really has a um, he really has an eye for uh, not only just tactical uh, tactical silhouettes, but these very lean silhouettes which were important to us for these soldiers? Well, it's his design approach, too. I mean, I think so much of our design on this film was led by what the utility of it was or what its function was. And Itor is super innovative in that way. I mean, his whole design approach is that, you know, function leads the design. What, what kind of material was oh, it? Oh, it was crazy because the story... Of, of how we ended up with the fabric of what it is is so long that we couldn't even oh. <laughs> tell it here because it just went from through so many different versions and iterations and it ended up being a wax material that we washed all the wax out of and then re-dyeing. Um, but the thing, the th but it all kind of was in line with our whole approach to District 13, which was that, you know, they didn't really have access to technical fabrics or any sort of flash that the capital would have. And that there really was, you know, everything in D13 was really made out of cotton or wool. Um, even the, the, sh the, the shoes were made out of canvas. The shoes that people wore in their pods when they're just at home were made out of felt. Um, so even the combat outfit was a cotton, you know, it was like a military cotton 
But um, I thought that was really interesting to to maintain that approach across all of District 13. Because you're you're working on so many levels. You have the the picture itself and the District 13 and thinking of how they would do. But you also have a bunch of actors working many hours having to run around who need. I'm, I'm sure you have to think of the material for their sake as well. Yeah, well, that goes back to the function leading the design, you know. So um, and thinking about what these guys have to do in it. There's a lot of stunt. There's a lot of action that takes place, especially in uh, Mockingjay Part 2. So that that definitely determined uh, what the design was like, just in terms of like, you know, how tight a sleeve is so that you can have maximum mobility and decreasing the amount of fabric behind a knee and in an elbow so that it'd be comfortable for actors. But it was really cool to see all the actors and all these different characters that are so established from the franchise, kind of all in the same costume in a way. And then to see like the little tweaks and twists of how each of them would wear that costume. It was it was it was great. Well, you've you've done an amazing job, and and I'm, I wish you the best of luck with this coming movie and your project. And thank you so much for taking your time for this. No, thank you. Thank you so much to Kurt and Bart. Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 2 premieres worldwide this week, and it's available on IMAX too, which is very cool. And thank you so much to you for listening, for all your feedback. Please keep it coming on Twitter at PodPopCulture or on our Facebook site, PopCultureConfidential, or on the website, PopCultureConfidential.com. This show was edited by Tom Hansen, music by Callboy, produced by Renee Wittestedt and myself. I'm Christina Jerling-Biro. Thank you so much for listening. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.